As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Two-man advantage, Pierre Lebrun. But it's, um, I'm excited, I don't know, maybe it's spring, uh, we're just about, uh, we're, well, we're not quite a month out, we're what, about six weeks out from the trade deadline, lots of discussion. How are you feeling? How, how are you, how's the vibe there in uh, Toronto? Are you, are you, is it cold? Tell me what's going on. The snow is melting. It's March. He normally would be mail it in March <laughs> after the trade deadline. And I'd be in Boca Raton right now. I wrote about this in my rumblings today. We'd be in Boca covering the GM meetings, which is a great event to cover. And the stress of the deadline behind us, uh, looking ahead to the stretch run. But this is a year like no other. The trade deadline is April 12th. So uh, this is not mail it in March. Oh my God! But it, now I want to I want to circle back that. But it's going to be we're going to have fun today, as we always do. But uh, James Reimer of the Red Hot Carolina Hurricanes will be joining us later on uh, in the show, and uh, we'll be chatting all things Canes and maybe Roberto Luongo. We'll talk about a bunch of stuff with James Reimer, um, and we will have some questions. We can uh, we as I like to call it again like to sell this part of the show but ask the dorks we'll have some questions i've already looked at them there are a lot of good questions coming in um and 
right off the hop then some of the news of the day. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the, the opportunity. What Where do you want to start? Because, uh, and you've talked about it and written about it, but uh, trade deadline, could this be a bust? We've got Yarmo Kekalainen giving the vote of confidence for John Tortorella in Columbus. We've got the ongoing, oh my gosh, things are so bad in Buffalo just and they lost again last night to the Rangers and discussion about Jack Eichel could he be on the move and even in the uh, the darkness last night uh, another move by the Montreal Canadiens as they dismissed longtime goaltending coach Stefan Waite and brought in Sean Burke former uh well he's done a ton of stuff but most recently was the uh, GM of the Canadian Olympic team in 2018 in South Korea so uh, where do you want to start you tell me yeah, let's start with the weight news because it's the freshest. And um, and keep in mind, uh, Sean Burke had been a pro scout with the Habs the last few years. So right. he was already in the organization. I think some, sometimes you forget that because pro scouts don't get a lot of limelight. But it is it was pretty stunning news because there was really no lead up to it um, on a couple of fronts. One, you know, Stefan Waite, always a longtime respected goalie coach. Um, been in Montreal since 2013, eight years um, and but you know, you take a step back for a moment and looked at the fact that Carey Price has been inconsistent really the last three years. Now he's always bounced back strong and come out of his funks. Uh, you know, the, the 936 save percentage in the playoff bubble last summer, so it was never really something that I felt the Montreal media was keying on, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, late night shocker, really. And, and of course, Sean Burke, who had had terrific success in Arizona. Remember, you and I used to call him the goalie whisperer. His work yep. with Devin Dubnik and Mike Smith. and uh, But had also, to be fair, I think tried to distance himself from the goalie coaching angle, right? As he pursued a job as an NHL general manager, which hasn't played out. But I think, you know, I, I tweeted this this morning. I mean, the, the Canadians announced Burke as a director of goaltending. This isn't just a goalie coach job. This is an expanded role um, where they're going to want him uh, over the long term to oversee the position at all levels in the organization. So it's sort of a front office slash uh, goalie coach position, which probably appeals to him more. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Do do you take anything from the timing of it? And of course, you know, here we are. Is it a week or all my days look the same to me, but you know, we are a matter of days uh, after the firing of Claude Julian and Dominic Ducharme coming in to, to take over, uh, the head coaching job with the Canadians, Kirk Muller, of course, going as well, and um, Alex Burrow coming into the coaching staff. So a lot of change there. And then this, it sort of happens, and it's sort of, it's late at night. I just, I, I was wondering what you made of the timing of all this, because it was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, oh, yeah, that happened. I I was a bit surprised by just how, how it unfolded. Were, mm-hmm. were you- yeah, I mean, it could have probably waited till the morning. I mean, this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. My understanding is this has been in Mark Bridgman's mind for a bit before he finally felt the timing was right. But um, I I guess they wanted to make sure they had their Laval goalie coach ready to go today and so on and so on. So it required doing it post-game. But it certainly – what's too bad is that it's Dominic Ducharme's first win as an NHL head coach, and it kind of took away from that. But never a dull moment right now these days in Montreal. (laughs) But it'll be interesting to see – you know, uh, how, you know, for now, Sean Burke's going to have to quarantine when he gets to Montreal. The Habs are on a road trip now for a while, so it kind of the timing works out that way. But it'll have to be Zoom 
Zoom work between Sean Burke and Carrie and Carrie Price for a while before they finally get together in in the flesh. Uh, good stuff. All right, I want to stay with. Um, see, I asked you to, if, what you wanted to start with, and I'll, I'm just going to slide in now because I want to. Uh, I'm doing you know, it's sort of like a theme kind of thing going on here, but. Um, I wonder how much longer, and maybe it's already there, but I think there's always across uh, the hockey world and certainly across Canada, there's always a, you know, a healthy dislike for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And even though they haven't won a cup since 67, it, it still doesn't blunt the dislike in, in many quarters, uh, uh, you know, for the team at the center of the hockey universe. I wonder if it will reach a fever pitch as the Leafs continue to, um, Make a case that they are the best team in hockey. Certainly, they have more points than anyone right now. Uh, and coming off back-to-back shutouts of the Edmonton Oilers uh, without Frederick Anderson in goal, without Austin Matthews on the ice, uh, that's it, it's impressive, right? I mean, to me, it's uh, this is this is something we haven't seen in a long time. You've been in Toronto a long time, but to me, it's been a long time where you could look at that team and say they might be the best team in hockey. Yeah, and this is one of those weird seasons where, of course, the Leafs have their detractors because they're, you know, people will say they're playing in the Canadian division where no one can defend. Uh, and, and it's, I mean, you're never going to win this argument because everyone's playing in their own divisions and not crossing over. So ultimately, whoever wins the Stanley Cup will decide this, this debate. But it, it is the best the Leafs have been in this era. And huge credit to Sheldon Keefe, who, you know, and it's taken a year, but you know, his job was to find that balance between this team playing to its strength, which is obviously speed and skill, but finally learning how to defend too. Yeah. And, 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 and not in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable with what they're doing, but, but that it becomes part of their, that it becomes instinctual and part of their DNA. And I feel like they've gotten there now, uh, you know, I wrote this, you know, recently about the Leafs. I mean, I'm not going to say it's unfair because it's sort of their own doing. But of course, no one's going to truly feel comfortable in their judgment of the Leafs until they win a playoff series. Yeah, for sure. And that's fine. That's that's you know the same way that you judge the Washington Capitals uh, never getting past the second round until they won the Cup in 2018. It's one of those things that hangs over hangs over you in part because people really like your team, but they want you to do better when it matters. So so that's going to hang over the Leafs until the playoffs in May and June. But in the meantime, the process matters. And and what I'm seeing certainly is a team that is not making some of the is not making some of the, some of the mistakes and having some of the lapses that we've seen over the last few years that in some ways were an indicator perhaps of red flags of a red flag come playoff time, which is the, the inability to protect the lead or or to fall asleep in the middle of games or not, you know, not be consistent. So this this is by any measure, regardless of the division they're playing in, a truly, truly impressive season by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I had I had to look this up because you know I live here. I couldn't believe it, but if they do win this division, it'll be their first regular season division title since ninety nine two thousand when you were covering the Leafs, Scotty, <laughs> for the that. National Post uh, <laughs> under the late Pat Quinn. That's how long. Uh, it will have been for them even just to win a regular and, – and that's saying something because they've had some good teams in, in the last 20 years. But uh, certainly in the last several years during this era, they've obviously Boston and Tampa have stood in the way of doing that. 
Yeah, it man, that is a long time ago, and it is it's a bit shocking that that is that is the case. And and on you know again, we get still better than half a season to play, so lots can happen. But it is difficult to see. Um, it's difficult to see another team in that North Division that would dislodge them from the the first place. So we'll we'll, we'll see. It it is, and I'll tell you what. It, it, it when it comes awards time, and I know it's going to be a weird year for the awards, but uh, Kyle Dubas deserves a ton of credit. And I, I think about you to your point on how they play and how they are a different team to play against. And, and I think of the addition of a guy like T.J. Brody, and who seems to have fit so nicely with Morgan Riley, uh, Justin Hall. It's just been sort of a revelation in terms of being able to stabilize a, a blue line that often was, you know, sort of played hair on fire uh, over the course, you know, lots of times during the last four or five years. But what a nice job by Kyle Dubas to to bring this group together. And, and you're right, Sheldon Keefe has uh, a year under his belt. And this looks like a team that has, you know, has some swagger to it. So it's fun, mm-hmm. fun to watch. So And it's, you mentioned T.J. Brody, who... You know, he just quietly goes about his business. It's he's not a sexy player, but he's fit in well. And, and that was so Kyle Dubas because the focus leading into October 9th, the first day of free agency last offseason, was really on, on the Leafs' pursuit of Alex Petrangelo, which ended up kind of being there, but not really being there. You know, I don't know if the Leafs will ever admit this, but yes, the Leafs made a presentation to Alex Petrangelo in the first day of free agency. But looking back, it felt to me like one of those well, we got to do it because he's the big fish, but we know we're probably not going to get him. I think all along, T.J. Brody was their guy. And obviously a much cheaper acquisition, but maybe, you know, given their salary cap situation where they're so top heavy with the money that's concentrated on Matthews, Marner, and Tavares that it obviously made more sense because you kind of wonder had they signed Petrangelo at $8.8 million a year, what they would have had to do elsewhere on their roster to make it work. No, it's a no, it's a great point. Um, all right, let's go. Let's go south, south of the border. Three divisions there. I know some people carp that we the, the, the people only care about the North Division, but uh, lots of drama in uh, in and amongst the three American based divisions. I, I was um, I, I enjoyed your your take on uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM in Columbus, coming out and 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 basically. Um, you know, it's it's the cliche, you know, a, 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 an endorsement of the coach, or we've seen this in Vancouver with ownership endorsing the management coaching staff there. And sometimes it is meaningless. But I, in this case, and I thought you had a great take on it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really fascinating dynamic in Columbus with all this happened there. Pierre-Luc Dubois, guest here on Two Man Advantage last week, uh, being traded, uh, all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, and, of course, John Tortorella in the final year of his current deal with the Blue Jackets. There's there's a lot of moving pieces there. But I thought it was I, I thought it was important that Yarmo Kekalani came out and, and addressed some of those issues. And I I'm not sure it resolves anything. Um but I thought it was important and I think it's fascinating where this team is is headed in terms of, you know, torts and the lineup. Can they keep Patrick Liney? All those kinds of things. It uh, but I thought it was important that Yarmo Kekalani came out and addressed it. Yeah, it sort of diffuses what was starting to feel like a powder keg, I think, in Columbus. And it's funny, like as soon as Claude Julien got fired in Montreal, everyone seemed to be wondering about Columbus, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think for the rest of the year, maybe that this is no longer a story. I still think that, you know, 
what happens there after the season. You know, his deal is up, um, and, you know, and as I hinted at in my rumblings today, I don't know that it's just been about whether Columbus wants to extend it, but, you know, what does John Tortorella want in his future? I mean, we often forget that part of it. You know, we often act like coaches are so desperate to keep their job. That, but, you know, he's a guy that's done a lot and, and maybe, I don't know, is it, does he want to continue there or not? I'm not saying that I that I have any evidence that he doesn't. I'm, I right. just think that sometimes with veteran coaches, it's important to ask that question too, that um, that sometimes when you've been somewhere a while, that uh, that it's a two-way street in terms of that conversation. So I, I'll be interesting to, to sort of monitor after the season, especially to – Really, depending on whether they get back into things. Well, and I thought you and you mentioned this uh, in either in your writing or on, on TSN, which I thought was interesting. That and sometimes when coaches go into a season without a you know without having been extended, you know whether they whether they are really lame duck or not, um, you you wonder what the rationale is. But if I'm not mistaken, Kekalainen was candid. Listen, we we've got some financial issues like every team in the NHL, and mm-hmm. we need to. It, it was not. I don't want to say it wasn't a priority, but it was something that they felt that they could shelve and deal with at a later time when, when the financial picture becomes more clear and, in theory, we see more fans back in the building and all those kinds of things. Which is basically what happened in Vancouver with Travis Green, which really felt like a no-brainer extension. But right. yeah. after you know, after what happened in the bubble last summer, but now I still think the Canucks would like. Well, I shouldn't say I know this. I, I'm just guessing. I think the Canucks would still view Travis Green in, in a positive light. But I don't know. I mean, the fact that they, for financial reasons alone, decided to wait on it. Do they, you know, what happens at the end of the year? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's sort of interesting um, when we talk about transparency and, you know, GMs coming out and, and addressing firestorms in their marketplace we haven't really seen that from uh, kevin adams in buffalo and uh, and i think it you know in some ways it contributes to an ongoing issue with that team uh, again coming off and yet another loss in against the new york rangers they are i'm just looking now confirming that they are in fact yes dead last in the uh, eastern division six eleven and three um but to me, I, I'm curious as we contemplate the April, April 12th trade deadline. There's so much discussion about Jack Eichel and could he be moved and all those kinds of things. And and because you know Kevin Adams has not really been present uh, in terms of the you know contact with the public or the local media, um, it's hard to really know where the team sits on that. But I wonder if you feel this more just. You know, this we seize on a player like that because he's so high profile and because he's oh, he's a great player, and and maybe you know maybe he wants to move on. But whether there's any, you know, so the reality of moving a player like Jack Eichel in these circumstances at this trade deadline it seems like there would be so many moving parts that it it's hard to imagine it happening. But I'm wondering yeah, yeah, I, I think it's unrealistic at this point. I, I think that the. If you're ever going to move Jack Eichel, which doesn't seem highly advisable if you're trying to be a good team, but 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 if he, you know, like we know there were rumblings last offseason, which are legitimate, that there was this conversation between Eichel and Eichel's camp and the Sabres about where this franchise was headed and so on and so on. That that stuff is all true. Yeah. And so the sense I always had is, well, let's see how this year's this year goes and then let's talk again next off season. So it, it, it really sets up either way. 
whether it's status quo or he really actually gets put on the market as a as an offseason situation because I, I in this system and you know I wrote about this Monday how this trade deadline I don't think it's going to be as busy as normal there'll be moves but you got 18 teams in LTIR right yeah <laughs> like it, it's so difficult to to make moves right now and if you're going to get it, first of all again they may decide that they may you know, Eichel and the Sabres may decide that they want to be married together forever. But let's say it's the opposite and Eichel this summer is open to change and the Sabres decide that's a good way to kickstart things again, another reboot. Um, you really want to wait till the offseason where you can get as many teams as possible involved in the bidding. Um, where the cap, uh, even though it's frozen, becomes less of an issue in the summer months because you can go over it until opening night and you you got more wiggle room to manage around it. It just invites more teams to the fray than a snap decision here before April 12th. That's why I just, I mean, I know people have them on their boards and so on, but I I just don't see the, the logic in getting involved in that kind of thing now when I think you could involve more teams in the offseason. And again, that's if the Sabres even go that route. Whenever I hear these kinds of conversations, listen, never say never. Look what we've already seen this year. Could you have imagined a scenario where, you know, a player with the skill set of a Patrick Line gets traded mm-hmm. for uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois? So you never But, but, say but never. that's almost, I would argue that's an offseason trade. Right. Yeah. Like it happened two weeks into the season, but the, 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 the seeds were planted, you know, we reported on it, like in the offseason, Liney's camp was public about change of scenery. Yep. And uh, and as it turns out, we didn't know at the time, but it came out later that Dubois had asked for a trade, you know, before the season even started. So, you know, that deal, as big as it was, wasn't a trade deadline deal. Right. That, that, that was, we're heading into the season and we've got an issue here. Let's try and figure it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, before you cut me off, I wasn't really going to talk about that part. Of it, but I guess it was the 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 talent level at such a young age. I mean, you just you, you don't often see it. And it makes me think of a conversation I had many, many years ago with uh, Jay Feaster, who, of course, was the GM in Tampa. And and there were you know, there was a lot of discussion about uh, Vinny LeCavalier and maybe slow to develop and was that, you know, was that the fit for him with that organization in that marketplace, the first overall pick, of course. And I just remember Jay Feaster saying, I don't want to be the guy who goes down in history as being the guy that traded Vinny LeCavalier. And of course he, he didn't, and they won their first cup together in 04. And, but I just remember one of that sort of conversation of when you're talking about something like this, it's easy for us to say, well, you should trade Jack Eichel or you could trade him to the Rangers and here's the package. But when you're talking about that kind of player in a market like that, you are talking about changing the history of your franchise, right? You're talking about changing you know, a, a seismic change to to what your franchise looks like or their identity. And I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. a bad thing. It shouldn't happen. But it's not something that Kevin Adams and the Pagulas and that organization, I mean, that, you have to swallow hard before you really go down that road. You, I, do you think that's fair? Yes. And by the way, something that never gets brought up, but I just feel the need to. Um, are we convinced that teams, that there would be that long a list of teams tripping over themselves to get a guy making 10 million a year for a long time in this economic climate? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I I do think there will there would be a number of teams interested because of how talented he is, but I'm but maybe not to the extent that we would be used to pre pandemic is what I'm saying. Yeah, um, I think everyone there's there's so many more things to think about now than than pre pandemic. I think with all these things, um, I still think the Rangers, and I know the Rangers had a I think a pretty casual conversation with the Sabers last off season didn't really go anywhere, but. I think the Rangers make a lot of sense at a certain price come the summer, you know, as one of those glaring pieces in their lineup. But when I say a certain price, some of the some of the some of the packages being thrown out there by fans, I think there's no way the Rangers would pay that price. So, so again, it's one of those conversations I think that could be revisited, but within reason. Yeah. Well, that uh, that too will uh, will become more clear over time. Um, all right, we're going to take a break in a minute here. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we take a break and then come back and chat with James Reimer of the Carolina Hurricanes? Um, I don't know what you got. Anything Crosby on the COVID list? That's a big win. <laughs> See, I ask you a question, then I answer it myself. Huge win for the Penguins without Sidney Crosby. Uh, with fans in the building, I think for the first time this season. Yes, that is correct. And uh, beating a Flyers team without their captain, that was pretty impressive. But uh, what, anything else you want to get off your chest before we well, move Well, you know, I probably shouldn't ask this question without having the answer, but it was, it was. I think the guys were talking about this on Overdrive uh, 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 on TSN uh, 1050 on the radio the other day, and, it, and it's something I should follow up on, but seeing some fans in the building in Pittsburgh last night, I, you know, if, if we get to the league semifinals and you've got some teams with a fair amount of fans in their building, but of yeah. course, I don't think you're going to see it in Canada. Is there any kind of, dis- is, is that a, is that fair when you get to the league semifinals that you have a different scenario there throughout the series? I don't know. It's an interesting thing to, I say this. I say boo hoo. That's what I say. <laughs> I like, honestly, I, I saw I, I saw someone raise this issue. I don't even know where I saw it. It's like, oh well, it's not fair that if a player like with the uh, line a uh, Dubois trade, what, oh, right. someone said, well, it's not fair that Dubois has to quarantine for fourteen days and line a. Now he had some paperwork to deal with before he could join the Blue Jackets. But basically, if you're playing for a, an American team, you're the 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 protocols are much different than if you're joining Canadian teams. So I was well, that's not fair. That's an unlevel playing field. Well, it's like, well, okay, then don't then don't make that trade. If you like, if you're Winnipeg and you you feel badly about it, then don't make that deal. Yeah, I mean, I listen, there's a, everything about this year is. A, I mean, you just have to take a step back. Yeah. They're trying to play a season through a pandemic. I know. Yeah, like, I agree. Everything about it is, you know, it's like the NFL having a game on a Wednesday this year. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Like, they're going to try and figure this out. Um, knock on wood right now, I guess everyone's going to play 56 games, which I wasn't convinced three, four weeks ago yeah. might be possible with some of the U.S. teams, given their COVID postponements. I, but I, I hope that's not like, a sh- it's not like talking about a shutout, is it? Like, you just <laughs> yeah, you right. say that now and you just squirrel it. But I, I think you raise an interesting point. So let me, and, and it's funny because, I, you know, I look at the standings. The one thing I almost never look at now is a team's home and away record, right? Like, I, does it really matter, right? But to your point now with fans in the building, do, does it feel, do you get a different vibe now? And, and we're slow, you know, like it's happening in a lot of 
American markets now. In Texas, you know, I'm not going to bring the politics in. Oh my God! Like Texas now, just like okay, the pandemic's, pandemic's over. Just do whatever you want. I don't think that's a good idea, according to the CDC. But uh, it, it is going to be different from place to place, and it's certainly going to be different uh, between Canada and the United States. And I, right. Yeah. And in fact, going back to going back to the league semifinals. Still nothing in stone written in stone yet because if the border continues to be an issue because because we don't trust you Americans. I'm just kidding. Uh, but if the Canadian-U.S. border remains an issue, it may be that the Canadian team uh, has to go south and not come home for the rest of the playoffs after the second round. Who knows? Right. Yeah, no, because you can't you can't stop the playoffs for fourteen day quarantines. Well, no, so yes. so so that'll be interesting too, and it's really impossible to predict right now. The league hates when you give them theoreticals; they like to deal with a decision as they come as they come at them. But that's that's an interesting one to monitor here: is w- w- when will the border loosen up for that kind of thing? Well, and again, I, it it is pure speculation, but right now in the states, of course. And President Biden announcing yesterday that he, the, the feeling is that their ability to get uh, vaccines available to basically all adult Americans now, you know, by, I think it's by the end of May now, which is two months earlier than they initially thought. Again, does that do those kinds of signals and assuming it continues to go that way, does do those kinds of signals change how the Canadian government views their border and their relationship with travel back and forth with with the United States. I, mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. And you're right, because what we're talking about at the Final Four, you know, we're going to start the playoffs, I think, oh, I'm going to say May 8th. Is that right? Give or, give no, I, th- I know. I think the because there's regular season games on May 10th, oh, so, right. so that would be awkward. The 12th no, I think it'll be the 12th and 13th Yeah, yeah. at this point. Right. So, so you, you know, now you're sort of – you know, you, you look at the timetable, maybe it comes together and maybe that's the point where we do see, where maybe this becomes a moot point, mm. knock on wood. So, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And as promised, joined by Carolina Hurricanes netminder, James Reimer. James, thanks for coming to hang out with us. I, you probably, you haven't had much of a chance to catch your breath. You had a, a busy night in Nashville, another win for the Carolina Hurricanes, and you ran your personal record to 10-3, and three, if I'm not mistaken. Your 10 wins, the third most of any NHL goaltender this season. So congratulations in the Canes battling for first place in the Central. Uh, and now you're back at home. You got some daddy duties, I'm sure, to try and mix in with chatting with Pierre and I. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely just uh, catching uh, catching up on a little father daughter time or father daughter's time. So um, no, it's been it's good. been a good uh, been a good day back home. It goes fast, James. Enjoy every minute of it. My my kids are already at the point where they're second guessing everything I say, and it goes fast. So uh, <laughs> enjoy enjoy that time. Uh, so how is the year going for you guys? Obviously, the team is doing well. Uh, you're doing well. You guys haven't missed a beat after Peter went down. 
Um, but what's what's it like for a goalie in this unique pandemic season where, let's be honest, I think practice time is pretty limited. Um, and, and so what's that like for at your position where I think that's pretty important to be on the ice? Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, I mean, I think – I think probably every coach is probably um, wishing they had more practice time. Um, you know, I think there's always things, you know, after games where, where, where you see things you'd like your team to get better at and, and kind of work on, and, and that's limited. And, and I think that, you know, that applies to goalies in a big way. And I kind of touched on that a little bit after the game last night. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a, a forward or a, or a defenseman or whatnot, but... I know for goaltenders, um, you know, it's nice to get with your goalie coach and, and, and just tweak things or, or work on things. There's always a list of things that you're, that you're wanting to perfect. And, and, um, and when, you know, you don't have time to do that, it's, uh, you know, it's, it sucks. I mean, it's one of those things you just have to work with and, and try and make, you know, mental changes and, and kind of rely on, on your foundation. But, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's one of the hard things about, but uh, such a busy schedule is, is not, um, not having that time to tweak. I'm curious, James, I, I, I want to ask you about your relationship with Roberto Luongo in Florida, but uh, we talked earlier in the season about some of the changes that a lot of NHL teams are going through in terms of, you know, sort of restructuring the goaltending development model. And actually, Pierre and I were talking about it earlier in the podcast with Sean Burke coming into Montreal to head up their goaltending department now. And, and, and I wonder if you, you know, during the course of your career, if you're Surprise, maybe it's taken this long for teams to, you know, sort of commit uh, like more than just, okay, here's a guy to look after our goalies. <laughs> now we don't have to worry about it, but it's, there's a lot more structure to it now. And I think more and more teams are doing it. And I wonder if you think it's, are you surprised that it's taken that long for teams to really sort of focus on the evolution and development of their goaltenders throughout the organization? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm surprised it's taken so long or, or whatnot. I don't know what the correct, you know, wording would be, but, but I mean, goaltending is, <laughs> uh, no done and an integral part of, of, um, you know, the game of hockey. And so, you know, it's, it's a science and, and of all the positions you look over the last 10, 20, 50 years, whatever time frame you want to put on it, you know, it's, it's accelerated so much. And so, um, you know, some teams are, are really investing a lot of, you know, money and research and, and development into it and, and trying to get that edge. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, a it's, it's one of those things that I feel like you're, you're constantly pushing the barriers, you know, and, and then when goalies get too good, then, then they, uh, then they reduce the size of your gear and then you've, <laughs> you got to adapt again. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you're, they're, uh, you're constantly adapting. So, um, you know, the more you can work on your game and, and trying to understand the position, you know, um, you know, the better you'll be. You know, James, this might be a good time to just, just retire right now. I'm looking at your <laughs> career. I'm, now, hold on for a second. Uh, Follow me here. Going I'm, here no, 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 no. <laughs> you're, I'm looking at your career numbers. After last night, the, the league's website says you've now made 10,000 saves in your career right on the button. Not 10,001. Or nine ninety nine, but ten thousand right on the button. So that's ah, it. That. He, 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 yeah, I mean that's a good. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mark. That's the marker right there. Hey. <laughs> um, how have you found? How have you found the position has changed since you came in with the Leafs? Where, where that's when you and I met, and you know, even in this decade, 
you know, I was talking to Roberto Luongo about this recently and, and, you know, obviously he's retired now, but he said even in the last few years of his career, the way the game has sped up and the pressure it puts on goalies uh, in terms of the quickness of the game and pressure on your joints and, and, and the way your technique has to adjust to it. Have you, have you seen big changes even in, in, in your time in the league? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's the athleticism part. You know, I think back in the day, you you were either big or you were athletic, right? Or those were kind of the two words, right? And now, mm-hmm. and now there's really not one or the other. You kind of have to be both. And so, um, you know, it's you know, it's um, like yeah, I think I think what Lou said's right. I mean, the game is so quick now. You have to be you have to be so. Um, so on it and, and, and be able to move from, from your position, you know? And so, yeah. And, and same thing too. It's, it's harder on, it's harder on your, on your body. And I think that's why you see, you know, the amount of games that that goalies are playing are going down and, and going into more of a two goalie system simply because um, it just is more taxing, you know, you know, I don't know if shot totals are up or down, you know, statistically over the years, but um the way that chances are being generated and, and how they are is, is, you know, definitely tougher on goalies. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, you see it definitely the, the load being, being shared between two guys more than, than just one, which would have been more of a traditional, um, format. Yeah. No, no question. That's where the, sorry, Scott, I know you're going to jump in, but that's where the science, the, the, the science seems to suggest that. I mean, Boston, I think is the first team a number of years ago to embrace it for, for Tuka Rast uh, first with uh, Hudobin and then with Yaroslav Alak. And, you know, I've talked to Rask about it and, and, and he understood the science and felt that when he went to the cup final in 19, James, that he, he was better for it because his year had been less taxing. And, but it's hard though. Like if you're, if you're goalie making a ton of money, isn't the other part of it, you know, that you feel you, you want to be out there every night. You know, that's, I guess that's hard to get out of your mind because you're such a competitor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the catch me too. I mean, uh, you want to play, you want to play every game. You know, you don't really care. Even if your body's hurting, you want to play 82 games. And so, um, I, mean, I think, especially even when you're playing well, I mean, I guess both when you, when you have a bad game, you want to get back in there. And, and when you have a good one, you want to keep it rolling. So, you know, that's, that's where, you know, it sucks sometimes if you feel like you're, you're feeling it. And then, uh, and then, you know, a coach is telling you that it's probably best, best for the team for your rest. And so, you know, you know, you have that, uh, that internal war in your mind, but obviously, you know, when you look at it from, you know, from the team perspective, or you look back on it, you know, I mean, when you're rested and, and ready to go, I mean, that's, uh, that seems to be where, uh, where, where, you know, where it's at. James, you spent uh, three years in Florida with the Panthers, and, and I'm curious about uh, how your relationship with Roberto Luongo developed and evolved, and, and maybe how important uh, you know that relationship ha- has been to you as 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 you've moved on, and spent the last couple of years in Carolina. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I was I was so fortunate um, to have you know two you know all-star veteran goalies um in my career that i could that could learn things from i mean obviously i jiggy in in toronto which was um you know massive for my development and and kind of solidifying my foundation per se um just being able to watch him and and 
and see how he he approached everything you know and then um you know got to see it again firsthand with uh with lou in in florida um you know i mean obviously these guys have a have a ridiculous um natural ability to to read the puck and to read plays but um you know the way they approach the game and 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 every day you know it's it's you know and i've talked about it before with lou but it's 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 kind of was extraordinary how how routine you know his his game was how his practices were and, and how he came came to the rink and and worked hard and, and was prepared just every single day you know there was never was a day off you know and and um and uh you know that's kind of one thing that uh, that i took from him too you know is, is just you know you have a plan you stick with it and you just you know groundhog day almost you know what i mean you just you believe in it and you work it every day and uh and so um, that was that was pretty impressive to to watch him for three years and just how uh, how he approached it. Having spent some time with Roberto in Florida, and now of course he's got a role with the Canadian Olympic team with Beijing, and he's such a a big personality. I wonder, is there a Roberto Luongo moment for you? Like when you think of him, is there stuff you like? Okay, I, I'll I'll never forget that, or I'm so glad I was there to you know share that part of it with him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's, you know, maybe one moment. I mean, um, you know, he's, he's just, he's a funny guy, you know, he's, 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 <laughs> yep. serious, you know? <laughs> he's serious and he's a competitor, but you know, kind of his offhand sarcastic one-liners are, 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 are unreal. I mean, um, you know, I mean, I honestly, I don't know if there's like I said, I don't know if there's one moment, but just, uh, just his general personality and and uh, and whatnot, being able to you know sit beside him in the rooms and and like I said, kind of learn from him. It was just uh, yeah, it was it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was real. It was a really good experience. I'm wondering if you look back at your time in Toronto, James, with maybe a bit of a different uh, a different look now with years having passed, and uh, you know by the end of your tenure there, it was a full tank of Palooza with the Leafs trying <laughs> trying to get Austin Matthews and. I'll just say it if you if you don't. Um, and and it's funny. I look back at your numbers too on on some of those struggling Leaf teams and a nine eighteen save percentage in your last year in Toronto. Uh, really good for that team. You had a nine twenty four one year. I don't know if people appreciated what you did at that time. Frankly, in a team that wasn't very good. And and did it take a while for you to process? You know things that were said or, or how you felt when you left such a huge media market. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, you know, Toronto, you know, the, the Mecca of the hockey world and, and has this, this aura about it. Right. I mean, even different teams you go to everyone asks like, Oh, how was it in Toronto? How was it in Toronto? You know, what's it like playing there? Um, you know, everyone wants to know and everyone, everyone wants to, you know, you know, see what it was like and, and whatnot. Um, and honestly, I mean, I, I tell them the same thing. I mean, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, I uh, obviously there was there was tough times, and and there's then there was good times and and whatnot, right? But but I really enjoyed the the whole experience. I mean, um, you know, I think also what helps is is that's that's all I knew at the time. You know, that's just what I thought hockey was, right? That's that's how you know the mm-hmm. games approached you know on an, on a nightly basis and. And, uh, I didn't have a, a glimpse of what, what, um, what other teams went through, what other players, what their experiences were. So, um, 
No, yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun, and and uh, you know, we had some we had some really good times, and and uh, you know, I, I honestly, I mean, it was just it was it was special. I mean, being drafted by them and, and whatnot, it was it was it really was a special time. Well, the Carolina Hurricanes are in a position now where you know a, a team that has gone from you know, sort of the darlings of the playoffs in 2018 and getting into the playoffs for the first time in a decade where the expectations are, I think, are exceedingly high for this team. And I wonder what you see, James, when you go in that locker room and, you know, whether it's Sebastian Ajo or Andrei Svechnikov or any of that that incredible core, are there things that have surprised you even as you move in towards the midpoint of this season where you're like, okay, I... I didn't know if we'd be this good, or I didn't know we'd handle these kinds of situations in this way. I, I just wonder if there's any kind of surprise to you at, at at what's unfolded through the first half of this season with this team. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think what makes our group special right now is, and you know, I'll put a like a a little damp, not dampener, but but I still don't feel like I don't. I, don't, I think all the guys would would attest to this. I just still don't think. We feel like we're playing <laughs> as good as we can play. Um, yet I think we've, what's been really good is we've found ways to win even when, um, uh, we're not playing our best. But, um, but I think what's, what's special about our group and, you know, now I've played on a few teams, but, um, is just, you know, the, the competitiveness and character of our, of our young guys. And, and we have a pretty young team. So it's, that's pretty much our whole team, but. But, you know, um, you know, Jordo is a great captain. We got a couple of guys that have been in the league for a while now that, that are good leaders, you know, and, and I think do a good job of, of representing, um, you know, how, how to, again, kind of like, like Lou and, and some of the veterans, you know, that we've all played with, but, but, you know, how to, how to be a pro every day. Um, but it's, it's, um, just comes naturally for, for some of the young guys on our team. They got a lot of character and, and they want to win and, and they do the right things to put themselves in a, in a place to, to be successful. They prepare, they prepare well and, 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 um, they just go and, and play, play their hearts out. And, and we make mistakes sometimes and, and we, we go through lulls and whatnot, but, but that, that drive to, to compete and to, and to win is, is kind of just naturally ingrained. And in, I think in some of these guys and, and then, and then push to the, push to the limit through, through Roddy. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a great coach and, and an unbelievable leader. And so, um, you know, these, these young guys are chomping at the bit and, and he, uh, he, uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of puts the right things in their mind and, and, uh, and they go up flying. And so, um, you know, it's real fun to be, be part of a team that, that kind of has that, uh, that drive. It's funny you mentioned as we wrap it up here, James, it, it feels like in Rob Rindemore, all I can feel on the outside from the body language that I'm reading and and everything I'm I talk to people around the organization, it's that you guys, the players want to play for Rod. You know, I think more so than than sometimes you you have in that situation in terms of different coaches around the league. Is is that fair? Like he's just one of those guys that's that's pushing all the right buttons right now with you guys. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think what's what's special about Roddy, and, and again, sometimes you know people ask, you know, what I mean, what's what's he like? What's it like? And you know, I, I think for him is that he's he's 
just he's honest and he's there in the fight with you. You know what I mean? He's he's a passionate guy and and coach and 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 he feels the the ebbs and flows of the game and and he feels the you know he feels and and still understands what it's like to be a player and 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 what it's like to be out there. And so I think you know he has he has a tuck he has a a pulse on on the team and 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 again kind of what it feels like. So. What he says, you can tell he means, and and it's not just it's not just words. It's it's either something you you know he's felt or he's currently feeling because he's he's right in the fight with you. So, um, you know, I think that's what uh, that's what uh, makes guys you know buy in so much into what uh, what he brings. Well, we'll let you go in a second here, James. But I I always think it's curious, especially with goalies, you know, how how it happens. How do you end up with the pair of pads on and you know, facing hundred mile an hour shots, all that kind of stuff, and and I was doing some reading, and if if the if the story that I am uh, you know have been uh, privy to is is accurate, it goes back to Morwina, Manitoba, which I, my sense is a pretty small little hamlet in Manitoba, and an older brother who needed a target, and I, I wonder, <laughs> a is it true, and 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 if you ever think about those moments back in the in the family garage or on the backyard rink in in Morwina and and, and where it's led to you led you to today <laughs> yeah no the uh, the story the the legend is true um, <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean it's yeah i mean honestly every day I, I think i think back to to where it all started i mean um uh, you know pretty improbable and and um yeah, I mean, we just a uh, small little rural, <clears throat> rural town, little little house in uh, amongst uh, a ton of farmland, and so um, you know, obviously, you grew up as as a Canadian, loving hockey, and and uh, my brother was, you know, three and a half years older than me, and so every younger every younger brother wants to play with their older brother, and so he uh, he lovingly um, gave me the ultimatum of of a, you know the only way I could play with him is if I was a goalie, so. Uh, <laughs> so uh thanks to him uh you know here i am uh, good stuff do you get back there do you still have like do you still have ties to the community and do, do you ever get back there or? yeah actually um all my siblings are, are back there right now really um you know over the years they've been they've been in and out but but right now for the last little while they've uh they're actually all kind of living in the area and so I got a bunch of friends and, and most of my extended family is still back there. So I try and head back at least at least once once a summer, if, if not more. So still a lot of ties. I don't know. It sounds like a good off season story for me. Once it's really <laughs> hot here in Atlanta, yeah. that might be a good uh, might I, I might try and uh, shoulder my way into a trip to Morwina, Manitoba this off season. So I'll, I'll have to I'll touch back uh, with you later on that, James. But, <laughs> you know uh, what? I don't believe you, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's completely true. It's completely true. Anyway, it, it's been great having you aboard and and sharing some time. Well, I, I, if you'll indulge me one more, <laughs> I, I know that just before we started the tape, there was. This, uh, uh, Pierre mentioned that whenever he used to see you in the oh, leaf dressing room, he would have like some sort of health drink. Which I got to tell, I've I've been around Pierre a lot, and and sometimes I don't see the health drink thing. But is this true that you used to see him with a health drink in that Maple Leaf locker room? Is that a true story? Yeah, every day. I mean, I don't know if it was empty. He just brought the same cup every day. <laughs> or uh... I, I I used to walk into the room with a booster juice, and James because uh, he's he, he perceives things. He's he he sees around him, right? Just like tracking pucks. He noticed a trend with me. 
Um, <laughs> sometimes it's because I had too many glasses of wine the night before that I needed the green health drink the next day. But, you know, uh, yeah, that, that is a true story. So I, I, I think James was kind of teasing me sometimes with that. But, you know. <laughs> I was just always hoping you'd bring one for me. Well, you should have asked. I would have gladly, uh, you know, would have gladly doubled up. We'll have to see if they, maybe come playoff time, if, if if the if the rules are are relaxed and we actually end up back in locker rooms. Who knows? Maybe we can make this. Oh work. my goodness, but, that uh, seems like a long time ago. Going into <laughs> a dressing room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff anyway james thank you for taking the time on on an off day and uh, continued success for you and the hurricanes and stay safe and healthy in in uh, north carolina and hopefully we'll see you down the road but thanks for taking the time with us today no my pleasure thanks for having me on that was great and it's funny pierre i, I it, it never occurred to me that you would have spent a lot of time around james during his time in toronto but of course you would have and uh i, I think james has done a nice job um, you alluded to it. Peter Mrazek's been out with a thumb injury for quite some time, and 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 really, it's going to be interesting to see what the Canes do. Um, you know, if they look to shore up their goaltending, depending on how he comes back, all those kinds of things. But man, it's a good team. They play a fun brand, as we were talking about earlier. And James Reimers, he's he is he found himself a nice niche with that team, and uh, it's I think it's, it's good. always uh, always a smile on his face. And those were some tough years at the end because the Leafs really were tanking. Um, and you know, got the Austin Matthews, so it clearly worked. But he was all, always a very respectful guy through tough times and tough questions, just handled himself so well. And you know, I don't cover the Leafs for a living, but because I'm based in Toronto, I love going to morning skates and and, yeah. and just networking with the players in both dressing rooms. But James was always a guy that I would end up striking a conversation with. Uh, on most days because he's very thoughtful. Yeah. All right. Before we go to break, a couple of interesting uh, potential free agents in that uh, Hurricanes locker room. And I know you've written and, and chatted about it recently, but Dougie Hamilton, of course, uh, in the final year of his deal and head coach Rod Brindamore also um, nearing, well, he'll, he would be a free agent in the coaching world if uh, he's not re-upped mm-hmm. in uh, in Carolina. Two huge parts of that Hurricanes machinery, though. And uh, my gut tells me both end up staying with the Canes, but uh, but I guess you never know. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, me too. I, I think, you know, right now Tom Dundon and, and Rob Brindamore's camp, I guess, are, have had some discussions, and eventually I think they'll get to where they need to get. I think the Dougie Hamilton situation is a little trickier, uh, but still ends up with Hamilton staying put. But I, I do think it's a bit trickier, as I reported over the past day or so, that you know each side and the Dougie Hamilton represented by J.P. Barry, each side last month kind of presented their position. And and while no one is saying this for sure to me, I, I my what I'm inferring is that is that they're not that close, and so. You know, they'll have to find that happy medium. And it's not easy these days with the flat cap and the yeah. environment and no revenues this year. But at the same time, Dougie Hamilton have put up huge numbers last year and, and what he means to that team. You can certainly see how both sides are, are coming at it. So, um, you know, sometimes these things go the 11th hour. You know, John Carlson signed on. I went back and looked at this. June 25th, he signed five days before July 1st back in 2018 after winning the Cup. You imagine John Carlson going to market? It almost <laughs> yeah. happened, but um, you know I, I think they got to find a number there that works. Because and I think for Dougie Hamilton too, he's finally after bouncing around Boston and Calgary, he's found a spot where he fits, yeah. and he's thrived. 
And uh, so I think that matters as well in all this. But uh, and, and the Seattle expansion, I mean, the interesting thing is the Hurricanes really want to sign him, but it, it, but it actually adds to their protection issues, right, with all their great defensemen in Carolina. Yeah. You know, do they end up protecting four defensemen and four forwards instead of 7-3-1 with the goalie? Um, so 4-4-1 four, 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 instead of 7-3-1. Right. That's not ideal. I think only Nashville did it last time in the Vegas expansion draft. Right? Yeah, I think you might be right, teams. but it and yeah, and you're right. It's but that's and that's the price you pay for building, you know, building a a a, a really solid foundation with uh, all kinds of talent uh, all throughout your lineup. It 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 does make for some agonizing decisions as you as we approach that Seattle expansion. So. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Here we are, my friend. We have some questions from our loyal, I was going to say readers, listeners, people who follow follow along. We love them, by the way. Um, let me ask you, uh, look, this one. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of funny ones here, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, how about this? This one, Matthew Jex, Mjex19. Do the Blackhawks make the playoffs? And if not, who in the Central replaces them? Uh, honestly, I think the Central might be... I think it is the most interesting, and I'm not saying this because we have James Reimer on the show, but I think the Central is is maybe the most compelling of the divisions. I think the East is the best division, but the Central has been surprisingly more competitive than I would have predicted because I thought it was super top-heavy. Like, I thought Tampa, Carolina were going to run away with it. I thought Dallas would be third, and then I, I didn't think much of the rest of the division, but I've clearly underestimated Chicago to this person's point. Um, I think that if Chicago falters, a team that still gets back in that mix is Dallas. I, I think that, you know... It's been a tough go for the Stars. They've got significant injuries, but they've also, as we date this, only played 17 games. So, you know, can they make hay as they start to catch up in the games played? I'm not saying for sure they will. I mean, it's really been a tough go. As we tape this, they've won one of their past 10, right? Um, oh, it's got, they're, dead, they're dead last. They're in eighth place, my friend. They're well, they're not. Uh, sorry, I never look at points. I look at points percentage because oh, okay. of the So uh, they're, uh, they're sixth in the division right now. Okay. The four sets. So Nashville and Detroit are the two bottom teams on points percentage. No, it's no. I mean, the question I is. I understand what you're doing, I, I, but oddly I, enough, I, the I don't want to give. I, I don't want to give the next team behind them as the obvious answer. Columbus is behind them, so, and I'm <laughs> okay. not sure Chicago will falter. Right now, Chicago's 
fourth in points percentage at 609 and, and continue to find ways to win. It's, it's a great story. Wow. What And, you know, and at some point we'll be discussing the awards. We get a little bit closer. But what a season for Patrick Kane. And, and, uh, and, so, and those kids that, you know, you know Kevin Lankinen and Goal. And it could for Jeremy Colton to, you know, to... Again, there's another coach, right, who uh, taking over for Joel Quenville uh, in, in, not in the middle of the season, but in, in the mid-season and in the midst of a season. And it's taken some time for him, but I, I think he's done a phenomenal job. And I, I've seen this, I, Mark Lazarus, our colleague in Chicago, tweeted this out, so I, I couldn't just steal the idea. But it, it, I think it's fair to say that among the potential uh, candidates for Coach of the Year, Joel Quenville in Florida and the guy that replaced him in Chicago, Jeremy Collin. I think that's fair. Well, and what about Stan Bowman, the GM? I mean, it's, yes. I think it's fair to say he's come under fire the last few years in his market, but, you know, what the plan was and where this was headed. And I remember interviewing him after the Hawks upset the Oilers in the uh, play-in series in the bubble. And, and you know, you know, people kind of looked at it as a fluky thing. and But... He, you know Stan. I mean, he's he's a well thought out guy, and he truly believed that what they were trying to do here in their retool, whatever you want to call it, um, was was going to work, and that this was a process, and and that around Kane and Taze and, and Keith, that they could sort of bridge the gap to the next generation of, of the team. And man, between the uh, between the play and series win last summer and what they're doing right now. All you can say is he's obviously, he's obviously, he believes in his plan and then it's working right now. I, I, and all, and all, I think they, I think the Blackhawks hang on. I, I'm with you. I think Columbus has, has a chance to get back in. And I, I think frankly, for me, the issue for Dallas isn't the, that they are, you know, yes, they have games in hand. They have a ton of games in hand. They haven't played, but their schedule is now so onerous. Oh, it's brutal, right? It's so onerous, and and you've got to dislodge four teams. And yeah, so Nashville and Detroit aren't very good. You still got to win all those games, basically. And then I don't know. It just seems like the hole is so enormous. It's like they're coming off. They played. I thought they played very well the night before we're taping this. They lose two nothing to uh, Andre Vasilevsky was outstanding for Tampa. And it's just there. It is. It's just it's going to be hard for them. So. How about Tampa? By the way, I mean fifteen four and one as we tape this, and almost getting no attention. I guess it's hard now to get attention in their own market when every team in every league is winning championships. But. Um, <laughs> 775 points percentage, ho-hum, no Nikita Kucherov, let's just, what's a cup hangover? They don't know what that is. It, you know, and, and really doing it without anyone nationally saying, wow, look at Tampa. Yeah. It's, uh, that's just a well-oiled machine. You know, again, and we'll move on to another couple of questions here, but I, I love the top end of that division. I, and I think of Tampa, Carolina, Florida, um, honestly, who doesn't want to see first ever Battle of Florida come playoff time? I, I don't know. I just uh, those th- and they, those three teams play such an enticing brand of hockey. It is so fast, and the skill level is off the charts for all three of those teams. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a. It, I'm with you. I, I I thought the division would look a, a lot different than it does, and, and it's a real treat. And and it's going to be fascinating to see come playoff time, especially you know with the two first two rounds within the division. Man, there's some some good hockey to be had there. So, 
Um, and I so it sort of moves on. It's sort of a broader question. This is from Jonathan Smith, John Smith, eighty-three. Uh, do you think the NHL would ever permanently go to a Final Four grouping, disregarding the conferences, as uh, uh, we're going to see this year because we don't have conferences, in the Stanley Cup playoffs? And, and maybe even take it a step further, would you go to a, a top eight like that so that you basically reorder after the first round of the playoffs? Uh, do you, what do you think? Do you think not, this is... That's not been something that Gary Bettman has been in favor of. Right. Um, and in fact, uh, I remember asking someone at the league last year about the appetite for changing the playoff structure, and, and, and his response was that there wasn't any appetite for that. Now, what I will say, though, is that one of the things I think that the league has also committed to is to learn from this unique season to see if there are things that, that are interesting, that their fans love that made sense going forward. Um, you know, I don't think we'll see any real changes for next year, but over time, because these things are like slow moving warships, like you need to think three, four years out before you start making changes. But it'll be interesting to see if there is, because I, you know, I, you know, I've talked about this at nauseum. I don't like the, the, the current playoff format, not the one for this year, but the one that is supposed to come back that we've had for several years now. Where it's sort of half divisional, half wild card. It, to me, you should commit to one or the other. Right. Either you go back to one versus eight in your conference, or you go to divisional. But I, I, I was never a fan of this wild card hybrid uh, scenario, which, which actually the NHLPA is part of the reason is the PA member had bought at the realignment slash playoff format coming out of the 2012-2013 lockout. Right. And and the PA felt there was the, the wild card would would be more fair for perhaps divisions that were stronger than others and, and so on and so on. That's why we have wild cards. But uh, honestly, I think one versus eight, the, the format we had before, before 2012 is the one that I thought was the best. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, yes, I agree. And I don't mind the idea, if you got down to the final four, yeah, you know, the travel, you know, travel's going to, you're going to have travel at some point. And so I know that's why you wouldn't do 116 because the travel would make no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't mind the idea of when you get down to the final four that if you're, you know, if the, if the top two point producers are the, the, the teams from the West or the teams from the East, then you know, why shouldn't they get a, a bonus, a theory, at least in theory, a bonus of playing teams that have fewer points but I, I wouldn't mind that in the final four i think maybe the the final eight might be a bit too much but i don't mind and i wouldn't mind entertaining the idea of remixing at the conference final level at the final four level so uh okay uh this is from m and he wants to know he i i, I made an assumption here and i shouldn't have it's uh, at mile TWT, so M, he or she, wants to know if you think that Jeff Ward's job is safe as head coach in the Calgary Flames. Uh, heard some speculation about Daryl Sutter returning to Calgary. And Calgary uh, is a very interesting team to me because, you know, once to, to me, they're one of those teams that has all kinds of talent built, you know, on paper, looks like a team that should be right in the mix for you know to be a contender and i love the idea of jacob marcher coming in there and stabilizing the goaltending and you know as we speak today they're in fifth place 
three points back of fourth place Montreal. They played two more games. It, it hasn't been great in Calgary. No, and, and maybe the most surprising team in that division negatively, although you could argue Vancouver. Now, Vancouver, a lot of people were on that early that they thought that the, the, the offseason defections would hurt the Canucks, whereas the Flames were picked. I mean, I remember polling people around the league and uh, the Leafs were number one, and then it was a real debate between Calgary and Montreal for number two in this division. Yeah. Um, so I think people thought highly of the Flames. Um, I don't know about a coaching change. I guess anything's possible, but, you know, they just put Jeff Ward in there. He replaced Bill Peters, obviously under very uh, unique and serious circumstances. But nevertheless, I mean, um, you know, as a GM, how many coaching changes do you get? So I, I, I don't know. I mean, they obviously committed to Jeff Ward. They had a chance to, when Jeff Ward was the interim coach, to go another route, right? Uh, and they decided to commit to him. I feel like it'd be pretty early in the process to, to make that change in my mind. Agreed. I, I did talk to somebody I was talking about trade deadline and talking about the Flames and the, this idea that teams that, you know, continue to sort of bump their, their heads on their way to, to being a contender, um, you know, whether it was Washington or the St. Louis Blues were, were both um, GMs in those organizations, had to make difficult decisions on moving core pieces to try and find the, the, the right the, the right mix, right? I mean, T.J. Oshie, um, you know, Doug Armstrong didn't want to trade T.J. Oshie out of St. Louis, but felt he had to, that things needed to be or done. Sort of shake the apple trees, yeah. I think, what he talked about at the time way back, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and I talked to somebody uh, this week about whether... Uh, you know, is Calgary at that point? And yet, yeah, you bring in Jacob Markstrom, and, and you know, there's your. There's yeah, your it's not like they didn't have a big offseason. And Brad Tree Living added the best goalie in the market, yep. um, who was on, available, I mean. Uh, brought in Chris Tanev, who I think played well. Um, but what he didn't do, and I think that, you know, he would probably never admit this, but I, just from talking to other teams around the league, I think there was a bit of soul searching in the offseason about the court. And whether he should move, let's say Sean Monahan or Johnny Goudreau, yeah. uh, teams phoned about those players. I know that for a fact. It obviously didn't happen. I mean, nothing probably made sense. But that's an interesting one. And and I can tell you this. I mean, we know that Calgary was among the you know the final four or five teams in the mix on Pierre Luc Dubois yes. two, two months ago. Yeah. I have to imagine Monahan would have been part of that pitch because Yarmo Kekalinen wasn't taking calls from teams who were offering future packages. He, he was interested in getting immediate help. So again, I, it tells you to some degree that uh, the Brad Tree Living probably knows maybe the type of moves that might have to come at some point. I, again, I don't know that that's easy to do before April 12th, going back to what we talked about earlier with Jack Eichel, but yep. it doesn't mean it's not. But I'm a firm believer on how the offseason and the cap era has become much more fertile ground for for changing your team. Yeah. All right. And you know what? So every week uh, you and I tweet out, you know, hey, ask you know, ask questions. We're going to take some questions on uh, two-man advantage. And, you know, every week my friend Al Lalonde in Ottawa sends a question. Hey, hey Al. I know. It's great. And you know what? Every week he asks about our hair. He wants to know about oh, our boy. hair. I know he and he mine's out of control. You know how much gel I have to put on it to go on TSN right now. See, I, I mean, think he, see my he barber's wants, closed. I can't get into my barber. 
See, is it now you use products? I'm not a product guy, as you know that, right? So just so, and I guess on my hair, on my hair, yes. Yeah, no, of course. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a yin and yang of you and I, my friend. You're a product guy, and I'm not. I'm sort of, and my hair is looking pretty shaggy. Well, I mean, having shared a hotel room with you over the years, not not that we wanted to, but sometimes because we had no choice uh, during some assignments. I can tell you that you get out of bed with your hair perfectly coiffed. I mean, it, it's just... You can't, te- you, you can't teach you that, You have the perfect friend. hair. You have the perfect hair. You can't teach it. You yeah. just... You, that's it. So. All right. Uh, speaking of podcasts, we will transition away from our uh, hairstyling seamlessly. Uh, Jeff Jackson, agent for Connor McDavid, is Craig Custance's guest on the full 60 this week. Do you know, and I, I, Jeff Jackson and I have traded sex. You know, he's like a Southern Ontario guy like me. And he actually, we had a long text chain not too, too long ago, where it turns out that he may have fought people I know who played on the Essex 73s, Junior C Hockey in Essex, Ontario. Because he said, do you know this? Do you know this? I, I won't mention him in case he doesn't want it. But he, do you know that guy? I said, yeah, I know him really well. Yeah, I fought him. I beat him up. I'm like, okay. Anyway, I, I never played Junior C Hockey. I did get invited to a camp once, and I still have the letter somewhere. But that was our, uh, we used to watch the 73 games uh, before our uh, juvenile practices. You, you, you could have written a book, Boy at Leafs Camp. Yeah, I could have written that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Jeff Jackson joins, uh, who is the agent for Connor McDavid, if I didn't say it, joins Craig Custance. Ian Mendez, Sean McIndoe had the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show at The Athletic tomorrow. And you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. My friend, you are literally at the top of your game today. Well done. Good for you. Right on. Right on.